Hello, welcome to the Tech Stack, your go-to podcast for tech industry insights and news. We're going back onto one of the pillars of modern tech today, cybersecurity, and we welcome back to the podcast Ted Harrington, executive partner at Independent Security Evaluators and number one best-selling author of Hackable. Ted, great to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. How's the book sales going since we last spoke? I have to say, I mean, you, you, you know, as an author, you put in the love and effort and care and attention and resources to write a book to try to help people solve their problems, but you never really know how it's going to resonate. And I have to say, I'm, I'm floored by the way this book has been received. And I mean, like people I've never met all over the world, reaching out to me, DMing me saying like, oh, I read it. And it's, it's here's how we're implementing it at our organization. And it's just like, it's just so fulfilling. So that's a really long answer to a very simple question. It's going really well. <laughs> I see I see loads of people sharing it on LinkedIn. Your name's often popping up and uh, a few people got their hands on some signed copies as well. Indeed, yep, we oh, got a few no. of those out in the world. <laughs> Good man. No, glad it's going well. Um, as I say, we've spoken before. If anyone wants to listen to our first episode, uh, they, they can. I think it was, you might've been our second guest actually uh, uh, many months ago. But for those who are uh, new to you, do you want to give us a, just a, a brief um, intro into IC and what your role is? Sure. Yeah, we're what you could probably refer to as the good guy hackers. You know, companies when they're building software systems that they want to understand how might those systems get attacked, uh, they'll hire us to do what's called ethical hacking, where we basically help them understand how might a system be attacked, how should they fix that, etc. So that's the whole business that ISE is, you know, we, we hack stuff. And then everything that is the book that's hackable is basically all the things that we've learned over many, many years of doing this, where we've seen companies get it right and companies get it wrong. Um, that's essentially what the book teaches is how to do it right. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't make the same mistakes. Exactly. So uh, for anyone who wants to go into a bit more depth about that, as I say, we've got our first episode there. But I was really interested in talking to you about the, the nature of this in a, in a company who's, who's, who's well-established or new and ongoing security testing. So if you have a test once and you find your flaws, great, you fix them. But we all know the attackers are getting more sophisticated and technology as well. So how important is this to continue your testing and uh, what is your role in this as well? Well, so first thing we have to recognize is that the only constant is change. And that's a really, really important idea to make sure that we understand that you definitely hit one type of change squarely on the head, which is that the attacker is constantly evolving. But the attack landscape is changing too. The attack surfaces themselves because companies are continuing to develop even mature solutions, even things that have gotten to a point where, we, where a company might say, well, we don't really develop this any further but you still kind of are. You're still maintaining it. There's still changes that are happening. Um, there are new types of attack techniques that constantly are evolving. There are new types of vulnerabilities that might be discovered in the supply chain or in um, something that a given system might integrate with, like a third-party library or a payment platform that, you know, a payment processing platform, et cetera. So the way we have to think about change is first of all, that ongoing security testing is critically important. But I don't think that's gonna really surprise very many people, uh, especially not coming from <laughs> a guy whose business is security testing. You know, so obviously, you know, take that with a grain of salt, but 
the reality is that because of change, ongoing security testing is really important. But the thing that might surprise people is not so much that you should continue doing testing, but how often you should do it. And this is one of the big misconceptions I see all over the place, irrespective of company size, irrespective of geographic location, irrespective of maturity of the company. Companies often think that you should do security testing on an annual basis or every two years, or some companies think even longer than that. But that's, that's wildly ineffective because so much change happens in the course of a year or in the course of two years. But then the, within that, the second thing, and we can dig into depth on this if, if you'd like, that surprises people even further is when they say, okay, well, if I need to do security testing more frequently than I currently am doing it, that means my costs go up. And this is the thing that surprised, like brain batter explodes on walls once I lay out the numbers on this, that it's actually, not only is it more effective to do security testing more regularly, it actually winds up being less expensive too. And that's, it, it almost feels inconceivable that those could go together. Like the better security approach is going to have the better price too. It's, it almost feels incompatible, but there is a, there's a whole actual mathematical reason for that. But the short answer is that you should be doing security testing probably more frequently than you currently are. But in doing so, if you do it right, and that's a big if, but if you do it right, uh, the costs actually not only don't go up, they actually go down. Well, presumably as well, the, the cost would be drastic if you don't do your testing and that's when someone finds their way into your system. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's a really, that's a really tough position that security professionals and risk professionals find ourselves in, right? Having to communicate, uh, well, if the bad thing happens, it's this huge number. What's the likelihood of that bad thing happening? It's this small percentage. And then th that's typically the way risk is calculated, right? Mm. So it's like a 10 million pound problem and there's a 10% likelihood that it happens. So it costs you 1 million pounds. And it's like, eh, those are a little bit made up in a, in a certain sense. And, and I think that a lot of executives, even though that's classic risk calculation, I think a lot of executives bristle at that a little bit because they're like, don't tell me about what could happen. Like, let's, let's focus on the positives and how do we, you know, move forward. And that's where they'll look at and they'll say, well, I, I will definitely spend this amount of money doing testing. I might spend that amount of money dealing with a breach. And it, you know, a lot of people, especially high powered executives have a lot of confidence in themselves and will say, well, I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to use those resources for other, you know, other things that, that our company can do. Mm. And so combating that is, is really important for, not just security professionals, not just risk professionals, but technologists overall, we have to realize our own ego, our own biases get in the way of effective decision-making. And that's why I think this point is so important that more regular security testing actually is less expensive because then people can look at it and say, well, let's definitely do it the right way then. Yeah. Not only is it going to be more effective, but my cost will go down. I'm sure we've touched on this before. And I think it's uh, a comment many people probably make similar to just technology on a, on a broad sense, um, how it used to be separate from the business, whereas now they are one and the same if you're, if, well, any business has tech involved, of course it does these days. But we're seeing this rise with security as well, of having that embedded into the very core of the business from day one. But is that still a bit of a, a perception that needs to, needs to change, needs to be fixed, so that people do understand that, that these costs for testing are going to be there. They're going to be coming out monthly, annually, or, or every time there's a new product development that goes out. 
so that is changing that mindset that security is now a core business discipline. Um, but it's still really only the progressive organizations that understand that. So if you think about adoption of anything, right, it goes through its phases, right, of the innovators and then early adopters and then late majority. And I forget what all the phases are, but basically the majority of people don't adopt something for a while. And we're still in those early stages where it's really the early adopters, the pioneers who are recognizing, hey, not only is security critically important to running our business, but if we do it right and we make it really core to our values and our sort of our ethos as an organization, it also becomes a differentiator. It also becomes something where when, when company A is competing against company B to get the business of you know, company C, uh, the difference between A and B can, if, if A, company A does security right and company B does not, company A can really lean into that. And since most companies actually don't really know how to do security right. And they certainly don't know how to prove it. When you can do those things, the buyer of those services or products gets very excited about that because ultimately they want to work with companies that are demonstrably secure. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely changing. Uh, I'm in the fortunate position that I get to work with those kinds of pioneers all the time. I mean, those are the kind of companies that would hire someone like us because they see the advantage to it. So I'm, my corner of the world is very, very skewed in that I mostly only interact with those people, but the majority of the world is actually not like that yet, but it is going there and eventually we will get there. It must be uh, a, a real challenge to, to keep it up. And, and you mentioned uh, earlier on something quite interesting where if a company maybe stops developing a particular service or product, but is still out there in the marketplace, yeah, how crucial is it? for them to go, this still needs to be secure, whether we're developing it or not. Um, and that has to be part of our testing as well, rather than focusing on what's coming up in the future. Yeah, so I think the answer to that would be slightly dependent on the reason for why an organization is choosing to no longer develop the solution. So if the reason they're no longer developing the solution because they're deprecating it, it's end of life, they've got a, a new something and they're trying to move all their customers over to that, uh, there's a pretty sound argument in my estimation for why you might say, well, let's not overly invest in this because we want our customers to get off it anyway. Um, so that would be a case where as long as that's being communicated to the customers that, hey, we're end of lifeing this solution. Here's when we're going to stop supporting it. Here's the, the sort of diminishing scale of which we're going to invest in security. So at this point, you know, your risk profile, Mr. Customer might change a little bit. As long as those things are being communicated, I think that's okay. Um, but for an organization who says, well, we built a product to do a thing. It does the thing perfectly. It's the best in the world. We don't need to develop it anymore. That would not be a good situation to mm. scale back on security testing, because if that's still the priority, that's still where the sort of the core business focus is. Well, you definitely need to uh, invest in continuing to protect it. Yeah. Uh, money's coming up, uh, uh, quite a lot here, uh, which, which, which makes sense. Um, so the, the people you deal with. Are you working with uh, companies of all sizes from startups who are uh, you know, in the funding stages to huge firms? And are there points there where people have to pick and choose how much they're investing in security based, based on the, the funding they've got? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's actually really surprising to me in a way, even though I've been doing this for a really long time and I shouldn't be surprised by this anymore, but it is surprising to me that our customer base can span the entire spectrum as you just described. I mean, we have uh, 
like fortune 10 enterprises all the way to companies that no one's ever heard of before because it's like a few people who have, you know, scraped together a few hundred thousand dollars and they're barely out the gate. And then of course, you know, everybody in between. But one thing that's really fascinating to me is that the security challenges faced by the, those very small organizations that are just hoping to survive another month or another quarter as compared to the enterprises that could probably, everyone could stop working for a quarter or a month and it would still be in business. You know, the difference between them in terms of their security challenges, they're very, very similar in terms of what they have to deal with. They of course have different resources available to them. Larger companies have more money, they have more people, they have more time, but they also have more of the bureaucratic BS that gets in the way that prevents them. I mean, you can walk into a smaller company talk directly to the CEO and say, here's the problem. Here's the business case for why you might want to solve the problem in this way. And they can decide tomorrow we're going to start doing that. Hmm. You go into an enterprise and sometimes enterprises need to now get sign it, you know, sign off and buy in from many, many, many people, some of whom who have their own political jockeying going on. This sort of gets in the way of what's happening. So those challenges are a little bit different in terms of how you actually approach and implement the business practice of security, but the security challenges themselves. Like what do we need to protect Who's interested in attacking to get those things? How do we approach it? Those challenges are largely the same uh, across different company sizes. Is a, uh, a smaller company less of a, a target or is that not an attitude that one should take? I would argue that a smaller company is probably a larger target. And the reason for that is that now, of course, I'm generalizing all small companies. So, uh, but the generalization that I'm making is small companies who have formed to solve a problem for an enterprise. I mean, that's sort of like the conceptual way that most businesses are organizing uh, today. That's not, it's not, there's obviously other categories, you know, there's business to consumer type companies, there's companies that only want to serve the small mom and pop type companies. But I'd say the, where the real focus is, especially in software is company creates the, the an organization creates software in order to solve a problem for an enterprise. Well, who do the attackers want to attack? They want to attack the enterprise ultimately or get the enterprise's assets. What's the easiest way to do that? The easiest way to do that is to attack the, the part of the organization that has the least amount of investment of resources in security, and that's usually the smaller company. And so that's why the whole idea of how do you manage third-party risk? How do you manage vendor risk? That's a critically important part of everyone's security program uh, it, it's such a significant problem. We've ourselves started building a SaaS product to try to help companies manage that problem. Cause we're like, how do you do that for thousands of vendors if you're a yeah. large enterprise? So we're like, well, software can help you do that. And so it's just such a massive, massive challenge. But yeah, those, the smaller companies are the stepping stone to the ultimate victim, which is the large company, but it would definitely be a misnomer. It would, it would be incorrect for a small company say, Hey, I'm so small. I've only got this many people or only have this many customers yeah. or people aren't looking at us yet. People don't know who I am. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly, if I'm an attacker, that's exactly who I'm going to look for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess we shouldn't forget the, the human element, should we, that these guys are always looking for a way in and they'll, they'll probably spend their lives on the computer looking for something just to, just to, to get an in, get some money out of it at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, money certainly is one motivation. It's not the only motivation. Um, but the heart of your question, 100% agreed with, right? The idea that attackers are very motivated. They're willing to commit uh, a significant amount of time. And this is the thing that I think is 
often overlooked and we should demystify, which is that attackers, they're not these mysterious cloaked figures that have some sort of superpowers. They're human beings. They're just like you and me. They are pursuing a profession in order to achieve a, an objective. And at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is they're just trying to be successful at what they set out to spend their time doing. And when we think about it that way, we realize, well, what are the things that we as humans, what are the things that, of the things that we care about, what level of effort and energy do we dedicate to that thing? Uh, if fitness is your thing and you like running marathons, how much time and effort do you commit to preparing for and then running that marathon? That's what the attacker thinks too. And yeah. unfortunately, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's usually about victimizing somebody, but it's the same same idea. They're very dedicated. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I can't put myself in their shoes, but you can imagine the immense satisfaction uh, uh, you would get out of, of, of trying and trying and then finally breaking a system. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, presumably you guys get that satisfaction when you do find faults, but fortunately, you're not a bad guy. Yeah, that's... Uh... My business partner often says he's, he jokes that he's like, uh, he loves that we get to do bad guy stuff, um, but it's for good and no, and we don't go to jail <laughs> and, but it's the same satisfaction exactly as you said, you know, it's cause ultimately really what hacking is, whether it's ethical hacking, like what we do, or it's the bad kind of hacking, which is what the attackers do. The, the core premise is the same. It's problem solving, mm. right? It's, uh, this system is supposed to do X. Can I make it do Y? And if I find a way to make it do Y, that's really rewarding because now you've taken a thing that's not supposed to do that and you make it do that thing. And that's as in terms of solving a problem, especially problems that are often considered unsolvable. Like people often, that's why I titled the book Hackable because people used to always say like, oh, this system is well, unhackable. Can't be hacked. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's the opposite of unhackable? And that's, you know, that's where the title came from. Um, but yeah, it's very, very rewarding to solve a problem like that. Mm. Back on to this, this uh, need for constant security testing. Uh, have you any stories or anecdotes of companies where that has slipped uh, and have got caught out through a, a, a lack of their, their security and, and their, um, their attitude towards it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, maybe I could tell a story that has a positive frame on it about where the value of ongoing security testing, but yeah, there's yeah. still an issue in the heart of this. So we have this, uh, this one customer who uh, they're very, very good at translating the results of security testing into improved development practices. And that, that's one of the really great things about if you think about security in the right way, it's not just about finding vulnerabilities and it's not just about fixing them. It's about how do we make sure that next time we don't make the same mistake again? Like how do we, if you think about it in terms of fitness, how do I, or, or let's say nutrition, once I figure out that a certain food makes me sick, I'm going to stop eating that food now. So it's sort of like that. Like, how do you accumulate knowledge through the process of finding problems? And so we have this one customer who they're very, very good at translating those. Um, they're very good at having a regular cadence to do security testing. They're doing it about every quarter. And it got to a point where because they kept getting better, the number of vulnerabilities that we would find each round kept going down and down and down which is great. Like that means they're introducing fewer issues. They're improving over time. That's awesome. And then uh, there was a round, it was maybe 12 or 13 rounds after they started working with us. We found this enormous problem. And the problem was that they had shifted the way that they architected their storage 
in such a way that put themselves in violation of GDPR, which you don't have to know what GDPR is, just know that it, big fines are associated with uh, non-compliance. Yeah. And so to them, it was, I forget what the exact number was, but it was at least 10 million euros or something was what they would be looking at as a fine. But they discovered that issue because of this ongoing testing process, we're able to fix it before uh, any sort of regulator, you know, called them out for it. They were able to avoid that fine, but most importantly, they were able to fix the problem. And this particular company deals in very sensitive financial data. And so they now were able to, because they had this ongoing process, they were able to avoid uh, suffering a compromise. And that was a really powerful outcome for them. And, and that even and sort of to tie the whole story together, that's an example of a company who's very, very good at this. They're very good. Yeah, but just something slipped through. Because change happens. And that I think really proved the value of, uh, of the ongoing testing. Yeah, great. I, I think that's a, a nice point to end on. I always like how you, you managed to put a positive swing on things. Uh, that was probably quite a negative question from me, but <laughs> no, no, you turned it around. That's great. Um, where can people people find out more about you guys um, if they're interested in Hackable the book, but also as a company and want to be a, a client of yours if they need you? Yeah, definitely. If you want to know more about our security testing, our security consulting, you want to know about the book, you want to just contact me, you want to follow me on uh, social media, uh, basically anything that you could need, just go to tedharrington.com and there are links that will take you to all of those things from there. That's a simple, easy to remember place to go. And then whatever you need is just at tedharrington.com. Perfect. Cheers, Ted. Thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks very much.